It's the podcast that shakes and stirs up pharmacy. Welcome to PBM on the Rocks. So you guys, I'm reading this novel right now. I cannot recommend it. I want to be clear that I cannot recommend it. It's Why? called The Memory Police. And there seems to be a consistent theme. It's, it's this weird sort of dystopian novel where these people live on this island. The author is Japanese. So it was translated from the Japanese. So it's possible something got lost in the translation. But these people live on an island where things are disappeared. What that means is they're going about their life. And every few days, a group called the Memory Police pick something, anything at all. And they decide to remove everybody's memory of the thing. And then people go on about their life and they've got the thing. And so far that's been what this novel's about. It's only 250 pages. I have no idea what's going on, but there's a whole lot of like lost voices and feeling oppressed by an unknown enemy. A lot like I imagine it is to be a pharmacist. So I'm in. That sounds not. great to me. I do a memory wipe. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, yeah. Anyway. No, I'm not so it's technologically enforced Alzheimer's. It's something like that. In fact, the, the person I'm reading the book with, we're both like, we're, we're reading this and we're doing a little book club thing. We're both like, is it an allegory for Alzheimer's? I don't know. <laughs> it could be that. It could be an allegory for defunding our education system. There's okay. a lot of things it could be an allegory for. <laughs> You're pretty much erasing knowledge from the general public. And a lot of them would love for, to, for us to do that. But. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I hadn't even thought about that. Oh, you're so good, Jeremy. All right. Well, what's everybody drinking? I'm just going to start by saying that I'd plan something really fancy because every, every time we do this, I'm like, oh, I'm going to up myself, but you know what? It's been this kind of week and month and frankly, almost a year. I'm just back to basics. I'm having a Manhattan with Kentucky bourbon by Trader Joe's, Trader Joe's bourbon. Very good stuff. Uh, not a commercial, just saying it's not bad. <laughs> 15 bucks. So um, that's what I'm drinking. Hey, I'm a Texas girl and I got home late, so I'm just having some sweet tea. Oh, good for you. Good for you. That's the probably the smart thing to do, especially when it's hot outside and you just got home. Right. <laughs> I am doing my simple JMO on the rocks. That's mm -hmm. what I'm with it. I'm not doing anything fancy today either. It's been a long couple of weeks. I'm just trying to chill. <laughs> <laughs> Julie, what are you drinking? Sadly, I have ice water. I'm on call for uh, a uh, quarterly report that is due um, in the next few hours. So in case there's any emergency, I'm ready to go. All right. Well, there's nothing sad about drinking water. Also, I have to tell you, I actually really love that cap you're wearing. Is that really a U.S. Senator's cap? Tell everyone who can't see you, which is everyone listening to this podcast about the cap you're wearing. Uh, it's in honor of the uh, U.S. Senate hearing that I got to attend a few weeks ago in D.C., um, PBMs. So yeah, I've had nice. it. I've had it for a while, um, and uh, I figured today is a good day as any to wear it. Oh, it nice. looks I like it. We want you to tell us all about the hearings, but first, Shannon, our our resident bartender and also the producer <laughs> of our of our podcast. What are you drinking? Uh, well, sadly, you know. The whole resident bartender thing does not apply today. So I oh, am good. drinking. So I'm drinking a um, mimosa hard cider. Oh, that sounds nice. Nice. That's I actually nice. tried one of those for the first time this weekend. I'd never even heard of it. And <laughs> I love champagne. It was great. <laughs> it was yummy. <laughs> All right. Well, where do you want to start? Because, um, you know, stop me if you've heard this before, but I hate PBMs. And we really love for them to. I don't think you've ever said that. I don't remember no, you talking about how much you hate No one's them. ever heard me say that before. <laughs> but I was thinking, I hate. I knew I would love this. I knew I would love this. <laughs> Brandy, I think you might have mentioned that you're not pleased with them in some form. You're stating it very nice. You're being really nice. <laughs> I just don't understand the point. Yeah. That one. To make money, Amanda, to squeeze out every available penny and make it all look like it's literally everybody else's fault except theirs that drug costs are so high, premiums are so high, 
Prior authorizations are required because they work for the employers, except for when it's convenient and they can put up a fake website for a fake group about patients wanting oh, healthcare. And they, they keep drug prices down. Like, uh, oh, what's his face said during the hearing that I almost, you know, threw something across the pharmacy when I was listening to. And then he and, <laughs> and Families USA blocked me on Twitter when I pointed <laughs> it out. So. Did they really? Yes, they oh went from God. following me to blocking me because I was like, uh, what he's saying isn't true because you know you can talk about net pricing all day but those rebates they get funneled off a billion different directions you can't show that they're actually bringing costs down and then it's just like block 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 jeremy i would think you'd have elon musk on speed dial by now with the number of times you've got <laughs> the number of times i get blocked <laughs> wow that's uh, but you know what though you're right um i was super happy I I'm, I'm late to every party, uh, so I was super happy to see that the FTC is now investigating the whole offshoring thing with the group purchasing organizations. Like, that was such a relief. Except, yeah. how did it ever get this far? That that is the thing that consistently boggles my mind and and keeps me, you know, in a perpetual state of of anger. You know, like that it could have gotten this far that we would have our our healthcare organizations with their little pharmacy benefits division making so much money, they literally have to take it offshore to avoid what taxes, tracking. Julie, what, what are they avoiding? You're kind of our expert. I, by the way, everybody's listening. Julie Hoffman, who is here in Phoenix, Arizona with me. And we are so very, very lucky to have her. She is the mother of uh, an amazing daughter who is uh, in medical school, but her daughter also is a diabetic. And Julie knows probably more then I know I do about PBMs and everything that's been going. But anyway, Julie, I was about to say, why is this happening? Bring well, us up to speed. you know, the, the group purchasing organizations, this is what I was looking forward to uh, talking about today because I know a little bit about them. I heard the PBMs explain briefly that they had each opened one of these organizations, but I don't quite understand um, the role. Um, now, are they going to then purchase the drugs from the wholesalers to place on these virtual formularies or what? I'm not, I'm not sure what they're purchasing, but I know that it's just another avenue where they are self-dealing and that's very upsetting. Um, and one thing I'll also say about the um, Senate hearing was I was impressed by a number of the comments and questions um, that the senators made. At the same time, I was also dismayed by a number of the comments and kind of misinformation. I don't know if you have any friends in Kentucky, but certainly Rand Paul coming from uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. community, just that guy, disinformation, you know, spoken emphatically was shocking to me that somebody could... he got marching orders from uh that was full on the chamber of commerce the national chambers he went point by point with what they released him and romney both so yeah that's all that was can we, can we talk about that tweet today from pcma from the u.s chamber of commerce oh my gosh i almost lost my mind they forced pharmacies to negotiate lower acquisition costs Yes, and that's why spread that's why spread pricing is so important because it forces yes. pharmacies to negotiate lower acquisition costs. It's a mechanism to negotiate lower because you know we've done a great job getting lower fucking brand acquisition. That's worked so far. We're just on losing money on every single one of it. Like I can negotiate with Amerisource Bergen. My buying oh group's God. huge and they can't do it. Time out. I can't remember what hearing it was. When they talked about the net price of Eliquis was $73. Oh, I know. Are you kidding me? They get all this money. They get to pocket all that stuff. We're the ones stuck putting our actual money into this inventory. And we don't get shit. It's just like, oh, great. You got this low net price. You're not the one actually buying these drugs. We are. It's like, I'm going to lose a minimum capital. of $20 on that drug every time I fill it. And you're exactly. getting it for $73? But it they can't because then premiums will go up. Right. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just gonna find Karen Lynch's salary if that happens. Yeah, yeah. I'm just now. I'm just like now. I'm just annoyed all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Today's PBM on the rocks is brought to you by this Manhattan and all of my rage at PBMs. Yeah, bless America. I just every I go on every day to like see what they've tweeted. What kind of asinine insanity they're trying to sell today mm. and of course there's this little voice in the back of my head going don't do it brandy don't do it they're gonna come after you and audit yeah. you to high heaven <laughs> see my whole thing is i'm gonna be as loud as i can to make them know that if they come after me i will scream bloody fucking murder to whoever will listen <laughs> i will make it an event you know, Jeremy, well, you will. You will make it an event, and I will sell I will. tickets to that event and fund putt for the work that we need to do to get you out of jail or whatever it was to happen. Because we're a nonprofit, and we work really, really hard and get a lot of stuff done, but we're still a nonprofit, and we're grateful for you know all of our members and all of you guys and everything that you deal with every day. Because I don't know how you do it. I, I was at a meeting earlier. We were talking with a group about um, here in Arizona basically about um, durable medical equipment. And we were talking about glucose monitors that the one, the, uh, the pumps and, and how this is being shifted to a pharmacy benefit. And as you know, this conversation was going on and it was a legitimate conversation to talk about like, you know, how can we in Arizona make sure our patients have access to this equipment? And, and the consensus is it needs to be at the pharmacy. And it was amazing to see this conversation keep coming back around to where we started. Oh, you know, about, 10,000 years ago in medicine and, you know, physicians were invented, which is you have to have somebody there at the point of care with the patient. And it almost always comes down to the pharmacist. The outcomes are better with the pharmacist. And yet, you know, here we have these multi-billion dollar offshoring organizations that are, that have somehow succeeded in convincing people that basic things like a pharmacy being a point of care because you, I don't know, get medicine at the pharmacy. The person you're getting the medicine from happens to be a trained expert in the medicine that you're about to take and can answer questions about what will happen when you take that medicine. But no, we don't want that person involved in the process. We just want to make it a commodity. Oh, and by the way, we're also going to ignore basic business laws like this thing called cost of goods sold, right? You have an inventory you invest, there's money sitting in that inventory, there's turnover, but here come the PBMs that are like, that's not true. That's all Monique, I, I will disagree with you on one point. I do know a few UPS drivers that have a lot of experience with drugs. <laughs> so, you know, maybe we should give them a little credit here. <laughs> For those of you listening, Monique literally just went forward and I think may have spit out her drink. I think, no, I just came, kind of came up through my nose there for a second. <laughs> You're right. Maybe, maybe no, I, I, I mean, I if they can have access. I lose money on all my diabetic strips. I'm about to just stop carrying them. It's wow. the same thing with Wagovi. They don't pay me shit for it. It's now, now reimbursement's like sub $50 for Wagovi. I'm not gonna uh, that's been on back order. That's been on back order since it launched. I mean, I don't know how exactly. you can get well, it. Well, it's starting to come it's off. It's been on back order for it. us. Yeah. yeah. No, so it's I, just like it's a choice. Uh, back order. I want to turn this to actually, never be able to order brand name injectables again. I want to turn this actually. It's gonna be like no though, insulin. I lose money on all my insulin. Why should I fucking carry it? Julie, why should, why should Jeremy carry the, the, the t talk to us? Because I know that Jeremy is upset, obviously, because every day he's dealing with this nonsense. You as a parent are dealing with it, I think, times 10 or worse, right? Because, you know. It's, ha it's happened for um, a number of years where, and, it, and this can change in the middle of the year, as we all know, just, you know, a formulary decision, a durable medical equipment decision. So one of my pet peeves is, during open season and you know in the fall everybody signs up for their health insurance they look at what's on the formularies they decide if they can keep their doctor or whatnot and, and millions of people make those decisions and then starting january 1st that's where the fun and games begin right what you signed up for can may not be true come february and so something like uh, you said test strips years ago there were certain insurance companies that forced people to get those through um, mail order. 
And then it was very confusing that you would pick up sometimes test strips at a pharmacy, but it was filled under your durable medical equipment benefit. And so as benefits started bifurcating into separate parts where you had your pharmacy deductible and maybe a durable medical equipment co-insurance or co-pay or not, not necessarily deductible separate for that, but separate from your medical deductible. And then they would lump them together the next year and then they would separate them back. And then they would of course double them or whatever, triple. So when somebody with say it could be type two or type one, but you know, type one diabetes runs out of insulin, they can't wait or they drop a bottle, God forbid the last, I mean, we've all dropped a, a bottle uh, of insulin and it, it shatters, believe me. You need to get that at a, at a pharmacy. You can't wait three days for a prior authorization through an anonymous 800 number and another five to seven days for shipping. Um, and it's really important. Same thing with um, continuous glucose monitors. Most insurance companies authorize you for 30 day supply, which is depending on your brand, three to uh, five devices. Sometimes they don't stay in. Sometimes you don't put them in right and you need another one sent out. There's nowhere to go for a lot of people who don't have that as a pharmacy benefit. So, yeah. and even in an emergency, if you were to need to pay cash, more and more of us, especially when 2024 rolls around and Part D really starts squeezing bad, we're right. not going to carry a lot of that stuff. There's no point in it. We're losing too much money. We've got to shore things up. So we'll be dropping a ton of med-D patients. We'll be dropping a ton of insulin patients. We'll be dropping whoever we have to because we have to survive. Otherwise, we can't take care of our other patients. They've just, they sucked all the money out of everything. Yeah, so I think- Who's going to spend the time with these newly diagnosed people? They're going to spend the time on the phone? Yeah, exactly. Explaining how an insulin pin works. Are they going to do that? They're not. Re-explaining oh, it Optum, four times. Optum just rolled out their new clinical services model, copying Express Scripts. So maybe that'll help. Right. I mean, and that's one <laughs> of the problems too, is they now are owning and controlling chronic disease management remotely from God knows where. And it, it's oh, yeah. hit or miss. It's not comprehensive um, that I've ever seen with my own eyes or experience in, you know, 25 plus years of doing this they they want to just be able to like uh outsource the pharmacy jobs and have you do a little facetime with uh someone in india that's one of their big things right now cvs is definitely pushing for that they're going to have them checking all the scripts everything else they're pushing our profession out that's their goal so whenever Express Scripts and United Health comes out and they're just like, no, we want to expand the role of pharmacy and the rural areas. They're so full of fucking shit. All they want to do is try to get us to do more so they can cut more people out and then have an excuse to pay us less on the back end so we end up doing more work for less money. We've played this game before with MTM, with DIR. We've played this fucking game before and we can't trust them. We can never trust them again. And Everyone out there just like, oh, well, this might work. No, we've done this before. We can't trust them anymore. It's not going to work. No. Julie, have you ever actually spent time with a mail order pharmacist, like over the phone? Have you ever had to have, you know, patient counseling with them? Um, no, and believe it or not, I've tried. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that's my question. Like, I mean, what kind of partner are they in healthcare actually because i've not heard from any patients that they can get their questions answered whenever it comes to new medications interactions they sit on the phone for hours and hours and hours when really it were a service that were properly reimbursed you could have pharmacists doing that on the regular who would love to do that right i mean and and you you know pharmacists are an integral part of the care team and especially like jeremy just referenced the um, in rural America, or Monique knows how big of a state Arizona is, there are a lot of communities that you need to drive a hundred plus miles to get to some. So then if you're only left with a CVS in the vicinity or um, an independent pharmacist, then the independent pharmacy has to close down because the pharmacist can't keep the doors open, even in a small town. Right. Yeah. Even in the cities, there are pharmacy deserts in the cities like Absolutely. Chicago, like uh, the one uh, 
who was Monique? You did that write up about yeah. Chicago, this is uh, Al Jazeera did this beautiful story about a really tragic topic, which was the pharmacy deserts that were emerging in Chicago of all places and in the poorer communities and the communities of color, you know, and, and where people were not able to get to a local pharmacy. It was, it was a trek, you know, and you think about what it takes to go like even five or six miles in a large city, five or six miles in Phoenix, which is not Chicago by any means, five or six miles is, that's a drive. That's a, that's a 10 or 15 minute drive in your car where you have control of the route you're taking. Imagine if you have to take the bus. Right. Public transportation. Yeah, public transportation. You That's know, why it alarms me when they start throwing around all these things. Well, we got to save the rural pharmacies. No, fuck. You got to save uh, the independent pharmacies that are in a lot of different neighborhoods. It's not just the rural ones. That's right. Like, pharmacy deserts happen everywhere. Yeah. You know, so Brandy, you're in a, if I, I remember you're, you're in like the second oldest, yours is the second oldest pharmacy in the state of Texas, right? Yeah. Nice. 1892. <clears throat> and you're in a, and so your community, you know, you're, um, you're not exactly like sitting in the heart of Dallas or anything like that. So you're, you're, you're not exactly rural, but you're, you, your pharmacy really, I think exemplifies what we mean when we talk about community pharmacies. I mean, it is in a community, it has been there, it is an institution and you are, you know, fighting tooth and nail to try to keep the doors open. So yeah, you, every day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember cause we talked about this and, and it just, you know, it's, it's, it's infuriating. Like the state of Texas is so huge. And this, this pharmacy has been around since, what'd you say? 1892? 1892. Yeah. It's just wrong. You know, just absolutely. And we have several, I mean, we're not in a pharmacy desert. There's too many pharmacies, but like I have CVS right down the road. I've got Walgreens that of course, you know, is half a mile from them because they always have to be close to each other. And then you've got Walmart. And then I have people literally coming in going, I picked this prescription up at CVS. Can you help us understand this? How crazy is that? Our insurance says we have to go to CVS but we have questions. So what are we doing? We're sitting here counseling this patient, teaching them how to use this, you know, if it's an injectable or something like that, but they're, they have to go fill it somewhere else where they get horrible customer service. It's just, it's completely insane to me. And then we to survive have to make these huge moves, you know, huge moves. We've got to go independent contract, Got to get rid of our big three wholesaler, get out of our PSAO, you know, all this stuff just to survive. And it's like, oh, my gosh, can we make it? Can we make it? Can we make it? Which is a horrible feeling. It's a nightmare. Yeah. And it, it, it keeps you up at night because you've got people that depend on you. Like you. Right. And even if like on paper, it looks like you're making money, even accounting for DIR fees. It don't matter. They're going to pay you late. They're going to do whatever. You're always going to be in a cash flow crunch. They've made it to oh where you are in a cash flow crunch, no matter what. Even if you're making money, you're in that. That's why I tell everyone who's like wants to get out and wants to do their own pharmacy. I tell them, not right fucking now. You don't. You can't. <laughs> like I was lucky. I started mine just in time before it got like too bad, and I've almost got my business loan paid off. Could you imagine starting a pharmacy in this environment? Oh my god. Yeah. It's, no. And it and this this why this is happening is because. Somewhere down the line, a group of not pharmacists, not physicians, but a group of, you know, number crunchers got together and they said, hey, here's an idea. Why don't we move into this, you know, sector of the industry? We could make a killing. And they started this, this transition where they commoditized pharmacy. They, they tried to make it about, let's just say the pills in the bottle versus what it's really about, which is a treatment protocol that requires a medical professional because every one of us is our own chemistry lab. You know, Shannon and oh, I- Oh no, it's not even about the pills in the bottle we're like not the same person. They completely know. disassociated our reimbursement from the actual product we're selling. They want that because yeah. when they can do that, they can underpay us on it. And then Absolutely. you can have uh, CVS lobbyists go into actual hearings and be like, well, you got to understand that their prescription drugs are a loss leader. They make it up on the front end. The fuck we do, bitch? You Why think I'm spending that much money on a goddamn loss leader? Insanity. <laughs> yeah. God, these people. Well, and that's and the problem. Makers, they but, up for years. 
That is part right. of the problem. Treat the commodity like it's milk. Like, oh, well, we'll bring them in the door with, you know, milk that we'll lose money on, but we'll make it up on the sale of eggs and, and beef. And it, that's not yeah, how if that works. milk costs $2,000, like yeah, I, I, all cash flow gets tied up in brand. We don't make a, you know, dime on. Sure, I'll use that as a loss leader. I was in a hearing in New York, uh, in Albany a few years back, and I was, you know, sitting with a, a lawmaker who actually said to the pharmacist that I was with, well, can't you just make this up on the sale of toothpaste? You, <laughs> you cannot sell enough toothpaste in this world to make up for the loss that the PBMs are causing. Because what was it they were... I just saw this in a tweet where they were looking at a drug that the the PBM had charged something like, you know, 900 plus dollars yep. for, yep. you know, but it was really a, a super inexpensive drug. How much toothpaste do you think you got to sell to make yeah. up, for, you know, for a $900 loss, right? It's like, what are you selling that toothpaste at? <laughs> right, right, right. It's, it's, it, but, and it's just like, I'm, I'm grateful that we've moved into a time now where, where we have seen, and Julie's going to have to catch us up because she was in the room at these hearings. But I'm grateful that we're at a time now where you can see lawmakers at the federal level and at the state level asking smart questions. You can see they're starting to get it because, you know, a few years back, this was a, a huge thing trying to get them to understand why this matters, because it used to be like, oh, well, no, it's business and everyone's allowed to make a profit. Now, thankfully, they're starting to understand like, no, there's profiting and there's profiteering. Julie, what was the hearing you were at? Remind us all again. Um, it was the U.S. Senate um, Health, um, it's called Health, Health Education, oh. Labor, and Pensions, mm -hmm. and Bernie Sanders chairs that committee, and so it was lively. Um, <laughs> I, I had to leave early to catch a plane, but I was there for, you know, three quarters of the, of the hearing, and um, yeah, it, it really made me realize the power of all of us working together, bringing new advocates along, um, partnering with pharmacists, physicians, anyone that will help educate those lawmakers at home, educate their staff, because that, that's the sweet spot too, they, um, is getting to the staff and, right. um, and keeping those partnerships up. And and also the state legislators too, because you know Monique knows and, and Shannon knows what a good job we've done in Arizona, and we do have a, a lot of new people in the legislature, and there's still a lot more work to do. But um, I, you know, we've we've educated enough fairly well to have have some go-to support at, at our legislature that we can just pick up the phone or shoot an email and talk to about the subject, and and then you know, I can back up Monique, she can back me up. We've got doctors on our side. We've got other patient advocates, a lot of pharmacists. It's just great. And the opportunities that have been coming along in the last year or so are tremendous. Monique was there when we um, brought uh, Mark, Mark Cuban agreed to uh, come in before Mavs, before the Mavs played the Suns and spent what, two and a half hours with us. And, um, and yep. we had a great conversation and, and, and got to educate a lot of law students, med students, pharmacy students, um, and other community members um, in the room. And they got to learn about PBMs, something that, you know, isn't taught, as I can attest, in my daughter's first year of med school. So these are, these are real life issues. And um, I'm just happy to have a bunch of new friends along on the ride. I mean, even seeing the posters that the senators presented during the hearing, a lot of them were, were very thoughtful. Um, maybe not, they didn't translate well on, uh, in the hearing room or on TV because people couldn't read them, but, you know, we know what those lines mean, right? And, and like Jeremy was talking about, um, and Brandy, you guys talking about the, the net going back to the manufacturer, you know, how to very high level um, insulin um, company executive tell me a few years ago what they were netting on one of the most widely prescribed insulins for type one. And I was shocked. My question is, where's the other $300 going? Right. Yeah. Great you know? question. What it ain't going to us. So I think that's an opportunity though, for all of us 
here sharing um, a, a beverage of our choice today that even to help the physicians and patient advocates understand how pharmacists are reimbursed because we do hear a lot of times that you could get reimbursed by prescription or, you know, is it the drug? And I know about lost leaders and, you know, I'll say one thing about lost leaders in, in retail. I mean, you look at any grocery ad, they change every week, right? So those lost leaders rotate. So every, everybody's not take or every industry that makes a product, those lost leaders aren't the same every week. So it, you know, it's silly to think that a small independent pharmacist can put those six shelves in front of your counter. Um, <laughs> you know, those are all lost leaders um, all the time. That's just, you know, silly. So I, I think, you know, that would help a lot of us is understand what happens with those dollars that go back to pharmacists. Those few dollars. Those I, I would love... So in the Senate Oversight Committee hearing, they talked about how next they want to invite PBM execs to come up and answer some questions. I want them to ask them, how do you justify paying a pharmacist a professional dispensing fee of five cents or 10 cents? How are you justifying this? This person that went to school for this long has this professional degree. How in your mind is this justified? Because that's supposed to cover their professional knowledge, the bottle, the label, the time spent, five cents, 10 cents, seriously? I just want someone to ask them these questions. Why will no one just go directly at it? Oh, I'll, I'll do you one better on that, Brandy. I would say not only that, I would say, how do you justify paying these professional doctors five or 10 cents for a dispensing fee when you take something like 2000 times the price, the acquisition price of that drug and charge the payer that amount and then you keep it? Because so call it value. You and then, it's and then value. On, top that, on top of that, the DIR fees went up 107,000 percent. What? Yeah. So hey, they, we're, we're just not doing our job good enough, even though, you know, I'm a five star pharmacy and they still rate me over the coals with DIR fees. They, they act like we can get them back. We're not getting it back. Well, it's so insane, too, because when you think about it, what's that professional dispensing fee? Like so NCPA did a survey. The last one I read showed that the dispensing fee is something like twelve dollars, just over twelve dollars. So they pay you five. Cents. Ooh, they saved eleven dollars and ninety five cents on a drug that they marked up that was five dollars. Now they're charging you know, 700 for it. Ooh, right. yeah, but I also read a report today that said that the last dispensing fee um, study that was done by NCPA was done pre-pandemic. So that's before right. you got COVID, that's before you've got inflation, that's before you've got all these other things that would then logically everything else has gone up. So how does that quantify if you're having, if your materials to do your job and your time spent has gone up in price, how does it quantify to keep that at the same thing? It should really be around like cost plus 20 at this point, but you know, they're, they're never going to say anything like that. Well, PCMA said, you know, the study, I think it was 2000, I can't remember if it was 2018 or 2020, that on average, a pharmacy is uh, reimbursed a $2 or less than $2 dispensing fee. I'd take $2. I mean, five, 10 cents is yeah, average. I'm not getting that. <laughs> um, but if we were to do an across-the-board dispensing fee, it would cost billions. Well, it might cost the PBMs billions. Yeah. But the it billions they could afford to billions. actually shell out. Right. It, you know that's I mean? the thing. Like, it was just, what was it? Eli Lilly, was it them talking about how they, they alone dished out over $30 billion for their insulin oh. revenue? And then it, they came back, and I think it was United Health talked about how you just got Eli Lilly paying back $32 billion in insulin rebates. And United Health talked about how uh, $1 billion in rebate money was going back to uh, help because of medical loss ratio. $1 billion out of all of those rebates. And that's $32 billion out of one company. 
medical loss ratio, like, oh, what's this? Oh, Fred in the hearing in the Senate started talking about, well, they got to go by medical loss ratio. Shut the fuck up, Fred. <laughs> you know, good and well, that's all manipulated. It's all a game. Well, that's the thing. Adam Fine actually came out. Thankfully, he's like wised up to PBMs. He actually came out and was talking about uh, medical loss ratio being gained. Uh, gamed in such a way right now because of what they do with the rebates and how they're doing the PBMs. And, you know, they're using the GPOs to really, really hide a lot of where that rebate money is going. So the FTC is really the way to crack all this open because lawmakers are doing all right right now, but they move at a snail's pace and they all hate each other. And they're not going to be doing anything on time to save a lot of pharmacies because 2024 is coming and that first quarter is going to break a lot of people. Imagine a world where the FTC forced them to refund us. Our, yes, our DIR fees. They oh, have the authority to do that. They do. Why would they not they do, do that? They do, but you know the so chamber insane. will get all over some shit and they'll, they'll cause a bunch of issues, but they have that authority. Monique, I think I'm safe in saying that if that were to actually happen and the FTC forced them to refund the pharmacies, all of those fees, that we would have a very large cocktail party that year. We would have a oh, very, very large cocktail party. And I don't think we'd have any problem with people coming wherever that cocktail party was happening and having a drink because they would have been <laughs> Yeah, all of this is making me think about, so, you know, there's like so much on my mind. So I just looked up CVS's end of first quarter for 2023 report. Oh, don't even tell me. I'm profit, right? $2 billion. That's one PBM. I, this meeting I was at last week, I was in New Mexico for a debrief meeting on two bills. One was a, an omnibus bill for basically reigning in PBMs. And the other was to stop the copay accumulator adjustment program, which is the most unbelievably messed up thing I've ever heard of in my life. It's and insane. we were at this meeting and, and Jansen gave us a sneak preview of their transparency report. So for anyone who's listening that Jansen produces every year transparency report last year. We have last year's on our website, truthrx.org. Last year, that transparency report showed that they'd given $34 billion in rebates, $34 billion in rebates. And it went all over the place, but 8 billion of it went to commercial plans. That means it went to the PBMs to keep, distribute, whatever it is they think they were doing. I don't wanna give anything away. That report's gonna be published shortly, but let me just say, better than 25% increase in one year, just in the commercial market alone. Almost all the other rebate areas stayed relatively flat, that being like rebates for 340B, rebates going back to the government for Medicare and Medicaid. Commercial plans went up a lot. And it was shocking to see, because when you think about like, I, I know we're all kind of, at this point, we're sort of like numb to millions and billions. You know, when you talk about like, the national debt and the debt ceiling. But if you just stop for a minute, take a breath and think about one company, only one of the many manufacturers out there paying last year, 2022, $34 billion in rebates on its drugs. You'd have to ask yourself, how is that even possible? And who else is paying that kind of money? And where's that money going? Because premiums haven't gone down. The list price, the thing that the co-pays are based on, that hasn't gone down. That's gone way, way, way. Right. Well, like premiums have gone up. And I mean, CVS does have to make up for all those bonus losses from their star rating lower. Hmm. Aren't they down to like 3.5 now? And they've oh lost, my God, I like, forgot they've about lost that. a billion or so in, in bonuses from CMS. Yeah, it's so going to cost them a billion dollars. Somewhere. Yeah, Bless well, their little hearts. Someone's got to keep Karen Lynch and you know upgraded Peloton bikes as well. So I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's easy to answer where all that's going. Whenever uh, they <laughs> keep topping themselves on earnings every quarter, and their share price keeps going through the roof, while everyone's closing out around them and paying way more for like care they're not actually able to get. It's pretty obvious what's happening, and the math's pretty simple. And it took forever just to get lawmakers to understand it. But, you know, they have been bombarded with a lot of lobbying over the years. Then you have ISER even turning around and saying, oh, well, BBM, some of the practices are pretty bad. ISER, of all people, are saying that. So, uh, yeah. You know, we've gone off the rails when the death penalty. Yeah, shit's like, got yeah. wild. 
Yeah. I think it would be great if we could. Okay. So we have these performance-based plans reimbursed for reimbursement. Like every time they require a PA, 10 bucks. Every time they deny a generic, 10 bucks. Can't we just turn it around, turn this performance-based pay around and find them for that? Oh, with that being they're charging you for every time they do one of these things. <laughs> I know. Yeah. See, that's the thing with performance-based pay was supposed to be on them and their networks. It wasn't supposed to be on us. Right. That's right. Like that's our right. shit's for people listening. For people listening, Jeremy just made a really critical point that often gets overlooked. The the performance basis and the star program was never about the pharmacies. It was always and only ever supposed to be about the health plans and how they were doing. Their star rating matters because they've got to perform in front of the government. And when they don't, they lose money, as Shannon just referenced. Instead, it gets passed And then they were allowed to pass it down to us through a loophole, but really it was just CMS allowing us to get fucked over because CMS is nothing but a revolving door of people who are just going right into the pay industry after they're done with their government service. Yep. So CMS, <laughs> they're awful and they perpetuate worse healthcare in this country. Jeremy's just mad because he's not allowed to feel his hair blow in the wind when CMS is around. I'm always mad. <laughs> I'm an angry person. I used to be so lighthearted and fun, but the past five years have they've been rough. Well, and and this is what happens, folks, to your pharmacist. They used to be like good, happy, loving people, and they still are. But then when they shut those doors, like all the rage comes out, and rightfully so, because no one should be forced to be in a business where contractually you can't do anything. You know how we were talking about the loss leaders earlier? One of the things that I found incredibly shocking is that pharmacies are contractually forbidden and will get in serious trouble if they try to do something like, let's say, match the offer that the PBM owned pharmacy is extending to the patient. So, yep. you know, CVS says, hey, we'll give you two months for the price or three months for the price of two. And Jeremy's like, well, hold on, I'll give you three months for the price of one. Oh Jeremy, no, that's terrible. Jeremy, you're breaking laws by doing that. Just trying to take care of your patient and save them money. How dare I? Yeah. And then let's not forget, I, want, I always want to remind people that because this, it's now been like five years since this came to the public's attention, but we are talking about the organizations that put in their contracts that pharmacists were not allowed under penalty of getting thrown out of the network they were not allowed to tell patients if there was a lower cost alternative to the medication they've been prescribed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did it anyway. I do a I lot of things anyway. Fuck them. The, what, how, the day that I knew we were screwed was when that came to light. So Putt was behind. There was a wave of stories, literally coast to coast. There was a wave of stories. Putt was behind many of those stories, which I, I'm enormously proud of. Many of our members participated and talked to the media. And I thought for sure, I thought, you know what, when state and federal lawmakers find out that pharmacists have been forced to withhold critical information on lower priced drugs that are therapeutically equivalent, surely they will take action. And I was so surprised to find out that nothing really came of that. I mean, and you would think that lawmakers would be like, okay, well, let's do something to address the gap, the gap in the problem, the thing that makes the problem worse, like a contract that literally states you will be thrown out of the network and you will never be able to do business for the next however long period of time we, the PBM, decide if you disclose critical information to the patient, which you're supposed to do because you're a doctor. That's what's supposed to be about, right? <laughs> it makes no oh, sense. Oh, no. Oh, no. The thing is, is it's taken a long time to get to this point. And we had a lot of demoralizing setbacks, but finally the political will is there. If y'all remember when it was all about like political will, you actually have to make the lawmakers feel that their constituents care about that. The political will is finally there and it's taken forever to get the general public and the lawmakers to understand this. We can't half-ass the answer. This okay. is a do or die moment. 
we have to push right now. That's why it's important that people like donate and they do a lot for like us at PUT and they, they push their lawmakers and they do everything they can because right now we have to get this through because if we don't and we don't take advantage of this, they're going to be like, well, we did that subject last year. Let's just see how it plays out. And they'll kick the can down the road until there is a full-blown crisis yet again. That's what right. they'll do. And right now we're in a crisis right now. Not a lot of independents are going to survive next year. Not, not only that, like they have to understand yeah. that you can't implement these things two or three years or 12 years down the line. Like exactly. They have this to is, happen now. It's you think you have pharmacy deserts now? Just wait until you get to June of next year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just it's, wait. It's, it's going to be more than bad. a little terrifying. Yeah. And then they'll be like, well, I thought we were doing this. And then they'll jump on the PBNs and be like, you need to you need to do something about this. And you think they're actually going to like pay us more? They're not. Lawmakers need to actually grow a set of whatever and go at it. <laughs> grow a set. Well, I mean, they can grow some balls, but that's kind of sexist. So grow a nice pair of tits and go at it. I don't care. Grow a set of something. Use whatever you got. Speaking for the four ladies that are on this podcast, maybe that's what they need to grow a set of. Ladies get the job. My experience with Jeremy nothing about gets a gentleman, but just saying. <laughs> you know, I look at so Julie, who's been a little bit quiet in this, Julie's one of the most influential people in Arizona. It's been a real pleasure to work with her. Uh, she is funny, she is smart. And I she started following was, Julie, by the way. I, I totally stalked you on social media when oh, I heard great. your name on this. <laughs> she, she's amazing. She's amazing. She she's really like, I, I have to say, you know, for anyone who's listening. Not that I suggest you stop Julie Hoffman, uh, but yeah, no, just really like this is a woman who gets stuff done, and and it's always a pleasure. Julie, it's such a pleasure to work with you. It, oh, it's great, thank you. Really, truly, uh, truly. I have one quick question before before the the love bomb. Can <laughs> 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 uh, we real real quick talk about what's going on now with patient assistance programs, where PBMs um, of course, they say that the employers are, you know, their clients want this, um, where they're forcing members of the um, insurance to go to patient assistance programs rather than. Right. Um, and so these patient assistance programs that are not that old, they really aren't. I mean, let's roll back before COVID and they were kind of by that time kind of just finding their stride. Now PBMs are saying, no, if you're taking a certain biologic or even, it doesn't even have to be a specialty medication. Um, you have to go to the patient assistance program first because some of them do have generous financial eligibility requirements. I mean, you know, so, some of those drugs might say if you have a family of four, you can make $150,000 or um, something before and, and still get um, a drug for either free or at a at a discount or with their copay card. So I find that just absolutely egregious because people in the diabetes community have been saying for years, and we roll this back to when the insulin crisis um, really hit its stride before um, COVID. They've been saying like um, why we want lower list prices is because things can change at any moment. We don't just want $35 copay. They exactly the list price lowered because anything can be yanked out from under you at any time. And now you see these patient right. assistance programs um, getting exploited by oh, PBMs yeah. to just defer costs that people are paying for that risk pool with insurance. Um, the, and those plans for truly needy people with, with, who are underinsured or not insured, that will be devastating. There is no safety net big enough in any city to help those people. Now, Julie, and if this is an idiotic question, please let me know. The patient's assistance programs and the copay accumulator programs, let's define the difference because a lot of those are getting thrown around everywhere in the media. And I actually read an article, I think it was last week, from a group out of Oregon where they're saying that the GPOs that we were talking about earlier are actually 
basically the clearinghouses for copay accumulators. And they're using the patient assistance programs as a part of this absolute crap nonsense. How do all of those blend together? Well, they're they're different. I mean, we we banned the copay accumulators in um, Arizona for for the most part. You know, there are already always some workarounds, but that just means that if you are on a biologic that's six hundred dollars a month and it's not covered, this copay copay card might pay your $600 deductible or $500 a month and you'd be responsible for the rest, but it doesn't count towards your deductible. And so we stopped that. We had a champion in the legislature that led that effort, Nancy Bartow, um, who's no longer um, in our legislature and she did speak fluent PBM. So we um, appreciated um, the work that she did for patient organizations for many years, but um, the, but the exploitation of the patient assistance programs is, is a new gig for them. And so hearing you say that, Shannon, I'm, I'm not surprised that there is some new glass house created. I, and I, someone help me out. I think in that Senate hearing, I know at least one of the PBMs, GPOs was offshore, maybe two. Um, yeah. Yeah. two. Ireland and where was the other one? It was probably Switzerland. Oh, Switzerland, because uh, there was a uh, concern brought up in one of the articles, probably, I want to say in Ohio Capital Journal, that their concern um, was saying as far as trying to implement transparency, if an offshore corporation is based in somewhere like Switzerland, where they have the strictest banking privacy laws on the planet, oh, they yeah. worried that because would actually... They have Fall Loads over of Nazi gold. Companies and not be able to see what's going on. No, you can't. <laughs> I can't imagine why they would have gone there. <laughs> no. I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest red flags ever. It's so not the obvious choice, is it? <laughs> well, and and ultimately, though, the patients are going to get the bad news. Where, so but so much- Julie, you make an excellent point because the PBMs are forcing these drug companies. Well, they're not forcing them. If the drug companies want to be listed on their formulary, then they're going to pay to play. And then they're going to, just like you said, exploit these patient assistance assistance programs as much as they can so that basically they can take a back seat and keep raking in that money before they ever have to cover this drug. Yeah, you know what will happen if they actually like go after the GPOs and try to bring them in here. Now their denials and everything else, they're just going to give... Uh, instructions on how to make a GoFundMe account. <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's really like a next step. Once you exploit yeah. patient assistance programs, and and there are already issues with those. I I, I had the honor to um, moderate a panel in D.C. while I was there, and and I, I you know I I brought that up that the opportunity for exploitation of patients. No, oh, it's huge. Uh, no, no, and it's bad. already happening. Yeah, it's already happening. Well, and now they're exploiting all areas. What about that? Um, what is it? The payday loan service that is Oh my god! If the pharmacy or the doctor needs to, you know, be able to hedge their bets, then they're doing a payday loan based off what they're supposedly reimbursing you, which then they're not. Then they're thinking we have the money, and then they're doing that, and then they're doing this. But they'll this should be the, the biggest red flag in the world to yes, any. They're causing cash flow issues. They're causing cash flow issues just so that they could make a percentage off of those exactly. cash flow issues through a payday service. <laughs> like, and like it is law that they need to pay me within a certain amount of days. They do not do that. They will de- oh, no. delay especially significant payments to me, especially around like the end of the quarter or something. They will delay that for a week or two and I'll get crunched like tens of thousands of dollars. They love doing that crap. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. who's going to enforce anything? I'm ready to grab a paper bag and start breathing through it after. This- <laughs> it's fine. I just killed my I'm not liver even the slowly. one dealing with. We got an AI now. I'll, I'll have a pig liver at some point. I'll live. I'll be <laughs> you can always ask Chat GPT to write you something about it. I mean, there you go. Yeah, exactly. I ask Chat GPT stuff all the time. I try to ask Chat GPT if Chat GPT was a friend. 
maybe chat GPT's lonely. And it's like, I'm an AI, I can't be lonely. I'm like, what if you, let's, let's pretend that you don't have AI rules and you want a friend. All right. Well, we are coming to the end of our happy hour conversation. I'm just curious. So we've seen, we saw a lot of activity over this last month, which I was super gratified about. What, what, any, any thoughts for like, what's going to happen in the next, between now and the next time we are recording our PBM on the rocks, which will be about four weeks from now. Y'all are invited to come back anytime at all. It's always an open happy hour conversation. Um, any thoughts about what's going to happen? I'll I go check first. These calendars every day, every day. Like I'm this obsessive stalker. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what's going to happen. We're going to have a lot of great proposals for a PBM reform and a ton of them shot down because they don't have GPO scores because the GPO can't actually score any of this shit because none of it's transparent. Amen, Jeremy. Amen. I would, I would re I really, really hope that 127 gets some more movement, but I'm really concerned that it's dying. So yep. hopefully something with oversight and 127. That is my hope for the next yep. four weeks. Honestly, I hope the entire healthcare system collapsed because if that happens, we're going to make sure our patients are taken care of. You know who's the only people that are going to be out of money? The conglomerates. Mm -hmm. They're the only people that's going to suffer. We're going to make sure our people get medication. May the system die. The system is not sustainable. It is not. Sustainable. It's like, remember, remember, like, uh, I, don't, I don't know if any of y'all remember, like, the what it felt like before the 2008 financial crisis. I was here, I just moved to Phoenix where I swear like every third person I talked to was in real estate or mortgage loans or house flipping or something like that. And when the financial crisis hit, of course, everything collapsed. And when I look back on that time prior to September of 2008, I always think about how it felt. It felt like a balloon that was like expanding, 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 expanding until the point where it was going to pop. And that's a little like what it feels like now. So I don't right. know if the collapse is not, you know, I, I think it might be coming because what we're doing right now is not sustainable. It's not sustainable to have manufacturers spending, you know, tens of billions of dollars in rebates and, you know, pharmacy benefit managers making billions of dollars in profits per quarter. Fortune 500 companies are these nothing. people that do nothing yet. It's insane. It is insane. They are middlemen. They, should, they operate a switch. Places you do not reap outside profit. Everyone should make a profit. I want to be really clear about that. There's no such thing. Like everyone to make money. But there Absolutely. are places where you should not make outsized profits. There should not be outsized profits in healthcare. Should not be outsized profits in education. There should not be outside size profits in the law. Those are basic human rights. And to see what's happening with a, a small number of conglomerates who have created these so-called omni-channel ways of delivering, which is really just code for ways we can exploit the system and grab every available cent, you know, that's just wrong. So, okay. And with that, I should step down off my soapbox again. Yeah. So I do not slip. And I, I want James Comer to get on this like a dog with a bone, like he has been on this other issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That man could get on this. We would. And Brandy, you'll back me up on this, like, yeah, you, you've been in the business. Like, the, I'm I'm a second generation pharmacist. Like, Dad was around back when you know you actually got paid, and back then it was AWP plus AWP plus a dispensing fee. Exactly. And like, the thing was, you made good money, but also drugs weren't expensive. Exactly. That's what people don't get. We got paid well, but the drugs were also cheap. Right. Right. No, I I remember my parents going to a pharmacy and it something was, you know, $8. If it was $12 or $15, it was an outrageous oh, yeah. cost, you know? So what, what do you guys think about um, the Mark Cuban bringing on independent pharmacists to pay? Hey, I'm signed up. We go live in a week. <laughs> right on. Okay, Brandy, good for you. And I know they're working on Arizona, Monique. So um. yeah, they are. And I know, you know, for folks listening, there, you know, and 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 our pup board has uh, had mixed, you know, feelings about it. I think we've all. He means me. I've had mixed feelings about it. <laughs> I mean, Jerry, hey, but when you're struggling, you got to try everything. 
you can get out of it. I agree. I agree. The, the thing is, is, like, Cuban's what we're doing himself, is not working. That's right. Yes. Cuban's proved himself to me a little more as times went on. He actually gets it. He does get what's going on. Absolutely. Uh, so there is that. Uh, as far as what he's doing, like partnering with independents, you know, it's okay. It's not a real answer to anything, but it will bring some people in and we can pass stuff along. So that's good. And, and I'm, I'm actually at the point where I kind of trust Mark Cuban and I'm not someone who trusts like a billionaire randomly. Right. <laughs> For yeah. anyone who's listening. So, yeah. We, I, um, Putt, Putt doesn't endorse. We don't, uh, we don't do endorsements, but Monique Whitney who met Mark Cuban and spent 30 minutes because I was lucky enough to have that time with him to spend 30 minutes, uh, I can say he really does get it. He isn't. That's in what turned me around. Funny, you know, he, he really like for anyone who doesn't know, and, and it's possible because now he's spoken so much about it. Everyone knows, but for him, the, the, the breakthrough moment was being the owner of a corporation. So he said when he was assessing healthcare costs for the Mavericks, that was where he realized like, God, there, there's gotta be a better way. And then when he you know, had the opportunity to hook up with Alex Oshmansky. Is that right, Julie? Right. Um, he, you know, saw this opportunity and, and that was a real, you know, so to speak, game changer for him. It takes yeah. a lot to win me over in this industry because of how much we've been screwed by yeah. our own people a lot of yes. times. Sure. But sure. Cuban, I think he oh. is trying to actually do something good. Yeah, you have been. He, 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 said, he said, I want to stick it to the PBMs. And I was like, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in it, right? I'm in. <laughs> Jeremy, I am putting your statement. I don't trust people, but I tr I'm trusting Mark Cuban on a plaque, and I'm going to send it to you. Put in God. your let's, let's Mark Cuban put too, this on a pedestal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's not have Jeremy admitting that maybe, maybe someone proved his initial thoughts were wrong. <laughs> let's not immortalize this. But you know, it doesn't happen often. Jeremy, just acknowledge it in passing, and we all just like accept it. How about that? Oh my goodness! <laughs> it's, it's, my hope is that someday there's a, and I know there are software programs, and some of the wholesalers have things, and but that it's just an expected part of your office visit that before you leave your doctor's office, there's some kind of a. I don't care if it's a kiosk. I don't care if it's some tablet um, that shows. Um, point of sale prices at a, right. a pharmacy near you. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I know that those things already do exist, and and like I said, some of the wholesalers have products. But you know, I I think with the uh, vertical integration, I I don't know, and I don't know how we're going to find out with them owning doctor groups and stuff. This is just another way, like Monique was saying you know, that vertical integration is another way to silence people in the healthcare teams um, at yep. every stop along the way. So oh, yeah. it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't benefit patients. Um, it, it benefits the house just like Vegas, right? Right. Absolutely. It won't, change. it won't change until we, the patients and the providers stand up and demand change and we have to i mean that yeah, is, we have to that is the mission of putt all the way down the line that we all of us the stakeholders who are involved in our health care because it's it's our health care every one of us individually is either a provider of that health care or a consumer of that health care we're the ones that are going to end up having to make this change happen and that's what i Plus, call the three, the three p's the physicians the pharmacists and the patients that's it i mean uh, Provider. Yeah, it's, a, it's a sacred triangle, right? That that's how that works because you need the three of them to to work together. And when you inter, introduce like a fourth P, the PBM, right? <laughs> then it makes the whole thing wonky and weird because then you enter. You they start ruined our triangle. And then they no introduced the like prior authorizations, a fifth P, right? right. Who was the representative in the Energy and Commerce Committee hearing? Um, he called um, PBMs pretty big markups. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Really imagine how much money we could save as a whole if you cut those bastards out. Yeah, I know. The three yeah, of them look, together. look at the profits that they make. Look at the billions. Every consider that waste. 
Consider that weight and look at how much we're wasting every year. $73 for crying out loud. My God. We need to do a comic where it's just like, this should be the three Ps of this is the the triangle. And then we have the PBMs like to say that there's a fourth P, the PBM, and it makes it a square. Mm -hmm. Like everything's even. (laughs) But really, it's a parallelogram, and it's like, Shooting off in one direction, <laughs> but many, and we're like this tiny little thing. Earlier, they had um, they had the erasing or the forgetfulness. Oh, the disappearing. Yes. Yes. So now we don't have geometry. A triangle can have four sides. Oh God! Yeah. Right, they're gaslighting us. <laughs> it's a triangle. It has four but sides. Can't you tell it's a triangle. <laughs> and we're going to introduce all part of the triangle too. Triangle. Yeah, no, it's it's all <laughs> Thank you, PBMs, for being so horrible because I need a place to channel all the anger I have at you in this podcast. <laughs> that, so. um, thank, thank you all for joining us, and for everyone who's listening, thank you for your supportive putt and if you would like to be a putt member and we would love for you to be a putt member please join us you can uh, find out more about us at truthrx.org shannon anything for you before we close this up just cheers okay everybody cheers (laughs) cheers to learn more about pharmacists united for truth and transparency how you can help fight PBM abuse of our healthcare system. Visit our website at truthrx.org.